I think what's most important to me is making time for self-care. So slowing down and just simply being. And in that simply being, there's a quality of connecting with yourself that then will allow, you know, more receptivity to being with your loved ones. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. everyone welcome back to the good dirt before we get started on today's show we wanted to remind you that we have a listener survey going on we're so grateful to all of you who have already submitted your incredible answers it's been so so helpful so far we'll be running the survey for the next few weeks so if you haven't had a chance yet go to ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey and you'll find the survey in a huge gratitude for your feedback and your thoughts we will be entering everyone who finishes the survey into a drawing for a full year membership in the almanac and automatically anyone who finishes a survey gets three months free so for all survey completers you have three months free in the almanac which is our online membership community and everyone who finishes will be entered into a drawing for a giveaway for a full year we love this online community it's really where we have found our people and where good dirt listeners can connect with one another and learn so much more from each other mom do you want to tell them a little bit more about the almanac and what it is yeah this is where we gather with others who are also seeking a slower and more sustainable lifestyle and we're guided by simplicity, beauty, connection with the natural world, and of course, the seasons. Members have access to constantly updated and archived content, including articles, essays, activities, virtual gatherings, guest presentations, workshops, book clubs, and a lot of topical discussions of interest. And membership also includes special discounts to events and our online marketplace. Yeah, it's really like a formalized structure of the slower sustainable lifestyle. We've kind of built a little container for that for all of our amazing listeners and our lady farmer community. And as we move forward into maybe having safer opportunities to gather in person, there'll be more of that too. So keep a lookout for that. And as you might know, we organize the Almanac by seasonal themes. So looking ahead just a little bit, our theme for the fall is weaving, which really ties in beautifully with today's episode. And I don't think we planned it that way, did we, Emma? I don't think we did. It just sort of happened. Our guest today is Kate Kilmurray, who's talking to us from her home in Ojai, California. Kate is a yoga teacher and a textile artist who teaches women to weave as a form of self-care. In her own words, weaving as meditation is a powerful way to slow down, engage the rhythms of the body, and access a state of wholeness and flow. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kate. It was quite lovely. Enjoy. 
So in 2015, my husband and I, and at that time, our college days son, we all moved from Boston to Ojai, California. And with that, I left teaching yoga for 30 years. I left this journey as being a day in, day out parent. And I arrived in this valley and discovered a connection with the land. Mm -hmm. With that, there was a huge life transformation. So I'm 63 years old and I've had my career. I've raised our son. And the question came to me, who am I? And how do I really want to take myself to a deeper place? And I have to say, it has everything to do with our yoga space facing east. Because I started at pre-dawn and I'd sit in meditation and there was this profound communion, connection with the sun as it was shifting and rising. And this steered me to really a lifelong journey studying yoga, which prepared my body to be able to sit in meditation. And so I jumped in and found an amazing two-year training program in meditation with Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield. And I was in that training when the pandemic started. And It was because of that connection to being able to drop into stillness and really settle my mind and calm my body that I was able to navigate through the intensity of COVID and support other women in circle with meditation. So along with this deepening of my spiritual connection, there came really a calling to use these hands as tools to make something. So as a child, I had weaved on this seven by seven metal loom. I remember those. Yeah. (laughs) Combination is a simple six by six weaving. And this to me is a metaphor for our connection, our connection to ourselves, our connection to each other, and then our connection to mother earth. And I have learned since living here how there's an energy outside that really nourishes me. And this is why I'm so inspired by what your mission is, because it's all the same. You know, whether we're coming at it from a craft vantage point, a meditation vantage point, looking at growing healthy food, healthy air, it's all the same interconnectedness Mm -hmm. that really given me a purpose and a sense of belonging in a world that is very mixed up and challenged and uncomfortable. I feel like I have a ground to my being which has really nurtured my own creativity and my own sense of being an elder, helping other women to come home into their bodies and to settle and to feel the breath and to calm and quiet these mental emotions, our thoughts, which we're constantly being distracted from our true nature. And our true nature really is grounded in stillness and silence. And it's not something that 
I grew up learning, but I've intuited it through years of being a competitive figure skater and then years practicing yoga. Now I feel like I have a much better somatic experience of what it is to really be in stillness and silence and allow that to really be the space from which I create my weavings. So today you're an artist, and are you still a yoga instructor and meditation teacher? I teach meditation every week, and truly it's because of Tara and Jack's course that I had to go on Zoom. It wouldn't have been my natural inclination. Mm -hmm. I had to do it because my certification required that I complete certain teachings, and Live, so it had to be on Zoom. So honestly, Zoom is a wonderful vehicle for connecting. And so blessed now. Two weeks ago, I brought these women in my community, and we're now in circle under our oak trees. And so meaningful the difference. You know, we did a great job on Zoom, but now there's a whole new sense of landing in circle and having the energy of Mother Earth beneath us, this vast openness of the sky above us, hearing sounds of nature. You know, there's just a heightened sensitivity to the preciousness of nature. And we all have a responsibility to slow down and make better choices so that our children have clean air, clean water. You're asking about the good dirt and good dirt is all about nourishing, nourishing ourselves and growing from Mm -hmm. healthy soil. I don't know if you know Thomas Berry, but he's passed, but was an eco-theologian in North Carolina. And he said, you know, you can't have a healthy body in a sick planet. And, you know, that was in the 80s that he was talking like this. So, you know, we're slowly waking up, but it's a process. And, you know, forums like this to help educate Mm -hmm. and inspire are so important. We need to keep the conversation going. Yeah, and we're so glad that you're here with us today having that conversation. So Tara Brock, for years, she has taught right down the road here um, in Bethesda. We're in, we're sitting in Washington, D.C. right now. And I guess, is she based out of Bethesda? I don't know exactly where she's totally based, but for years she's taught out of this church on River Road for the 12 years that I've been here. Is that where she's based? That is, yes. In Winston, you can um, tap her talk. And they're well worth um, either going to in person or logging in on Zoom. I have been to them before in years past. It's, it's very close to here. Isn't that something? Yeah. And then you mentioned Thomas Berry. I was very much affected by his book, The Great Work. Is that the book you're referring to? Great Work. That's an amazing book. Dream of the uh, Dream of the Earth is another really uh, Dream of the Earth. I haven't read that one, but I will add that one because the great work, yeah, that affected me. I read that probably in the nineties sometime. And so, also the other coincidence is you started out saying you sort of discovered being in the sunrise and the energy of it. Well, we have this online membership group, and we offer different activities and articles and so forth. And just today, within that platform, we published an article about what we called it sunrise bathing. Mm. And we were talking about how there's a special quality to the early, early sunlight. And I know you talked about it a little bit, but is there any more you can say about that? I think it's so fascinating and it's something a lot of people don't really get, you know? So it's a time of transition from the 
depths of the darkness into the light. So it's a time, literally, that we can start anew. And if we allow ourselves to pause and really take that in, it relieves a lot of the burden that often we walk around with. Because there are certain things that we can just let go of. So we're in the depths of the darkness. The sun is starting to rise and it's a new beginning. Yeah. There is in that new beginning an opening and that opening provides a quality of being that is fresh and alive and allows us to continue to come home literally and be embodied because we are a culture that's up and out. So my literally 30 years, you know, almost half my life of yoga has been preparation for allowing myself to drop in and feel. And when we start to feel, there's a vulnerability. And that can be a scary place for people because we don't have the tools to know how to be with the uncertainty. And this is why practice meditation practice, coming home to our breath, allows us an inner stability and it strengthens. And this is something that really for the rest of my life, I'll be practicing. It's I'll never arrive. It's a process. And I am more and more appreciative of the practice because during all of the intensity of the pandemic, I was able to be aware and yet step back and not be as reactive. And that's a skill that we learn. It's not something we're born with. And mindful meditation helps in that quality of just settling into who we are. And so in being in the darkness, coming into the light, coming home to the breath, there's a rhythm. And this is the rhythm of Mother Earth, right? It's a cycle that as a human, I'm connecting with. I'm connecting with this natural cycle. I'm bringing it into my field. And that's very powerful. And we can have this same relationship at dusk because we're going the opposite way, right? At the end of the day, the light is changing. And so We can sit in meditation or you can just go outside and sit in a chair and be in the presence of the shift from day to night. And, you know, in Southern California, where it's so hot, we love to go out at dusk because it's cooling off. And, you know, there's a quality in the air, as you spoke of. It's different but it's a special quality. And it's all about just being in the moment. So it's kind of a living expression of what's always there. But because we are so much on automatic pilot, so busy in our thinking brain and doing mode that we forget to absorb the stillness and the silence of dawn and dusk. That's a beautiful way to put it. Thank you. Was there, and you mentioned moving from the East Coast to Ohio. was there another kind of, and that being a big shift for you, was there another big kind of aha moment that you had that maybe put you on this path to where you are now in this mindful meditation and artist degree? There definitely was a calling of wanting to make something that would outlive me. That would outlive you? I mean, I'm 63. I'm a healthy 63. But honestly, 
whether I have five years, 10 years, 20 years, there's a limit to my time. And the idea of really dropping in and making something with these hands that then, I mean, right now I have my work literally seated all around the world. There's something Mm -hmm. very precious about that, that, you know, this seven by seven loom, that just by my level of sensitivity, that I can transform it from a children's craft to something now that has more depth and meaning. And this is what I love about helping other women to come home to this weaving, because it's not like knitting where you have to count and much more complex. It's not like floor looms. This kind of weaving, anyone can do. And you can, you know, it's so small, you can pop it in your purse. And right now I'm very into dying from plants. And my gosh, uh-huh. this just totally changed my color palette, my, again, my connection to the natural world. It's opened up a whole new avenue for deepening my creativity. And I feel so alive. And I think, you know, in your 60s, if you don't have grandchildren and you've completed your, you know, so-called career, I think we need to find something that really gives us a sense of purpose and aliveness. And the weaving does that for me. I have been so excited, not only by my work, but the community that I'm teaching I've actually, with COVID, I started what's called the Weaving Way community. And once a month we meet, it's all free. It's totally volunteer. I find presenters. Last month, I had a woman from Hong Kong come on the call at four in the morning, her time and present. And, you know, it just touches my heart that women want to come together in this virtual circle to connect. So I keep circling back. It's about connection. Yeah, connection. Right? And you know, these weavings are all about connection. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking, especially people our age, the weaving, I mean, it's, it's a metaphor for everyone, but when you get into your last several decades, who knows how many, you don't have five in front of you anymore. You might have two or three or whatever. But the metaphor of weaving is very poignant because at this point in life, you start seeing how the pieces all come together and cross over each other. And your life becomes a fabric of different strands and they come together and the colors and the textures and all of that. And so that's just a very sweet way of externalizing what's going on inside as we move into the last third of our lives. I've heard, I've heard it expressed that way before. I like calling it we're moving into our elderhood because as heirs, we have, if I can be so bold, an experience that has a quality of wisdom, you know, it has some wisdom. And our lifelong journey has given us experiences that can hold the space for not only our own children, but for the larger community. And I think it's really one of our responsibilities as elders to reach out and keep the conversations alive. And, you know, especially now with young people being so challenged on so many levels, you know, the whole world's challenged, but I think the young people are really getting hit hard and we can help support them. I have some young students and, you know, I'm just so touched at how, devoted they are to their weaving. And, you know, the other piece is these are not only beautiful squares, but 
they're also, you know, they're potholders. They protect your hands. And you're making something that's simple and beautiful to keep you in the kitchen loving everything that you touch. And I mm-hmm. really, like I have collected um, handmade wooden spoons my whole life. Oh, we're laughing because you I, guys are twins. <laughs> you and my mom. <laughs> Me and wooden spoons. Yeah. Mm. They're such expression. These weavings, when you really use them, they break in and they create a life. And I've had it in the back of my mind to see if I could get people to donate pictures of their well-loved weavings because they take on a character and a life from what you cook, how you cook. And, you know, I love that there's an evolution just in the fabric. And, you know, when, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, everything that we had, we made. So there was a different quality of caring, you know, really caring Mm -hmm. about the things in the kitchen you know, from dish towels that were woven to, you know, pots and pans that, you know, your neighbor made, you know, there was this sense of all the things were made by people that you knew, and they were precious. And, you know, this is part of what I want to help people return to, you know, that the things in their homes can be fewer and create more space and more precious. I really, really resonate with that. And especially in this journey of the last several years, I'm trying to transition away from synthetic things and gravitate towards more natural fibers and natural materials like the wooden spoons and so forth and the organic tea towels and bath towels and all that. You start to really develop a sense of the way they feel, not only just to your hands, but there's a feeling about it. This is something that came from the earth. It didn't come from a lab with a bunch of chemicals in a mold or something. It came out of the earth and it feels like it. And when you surround yourself with that kind of thing, you do develop a sense of it where departing from it, going to other things doesn't feel as good. So I know what you're saying. I like to think about things that both my grandmothers have made. Like my grandmother had a millinery shop and my other grandmother did a lot of embroidery and you know when I think about things that I have that I really care about it's things like that that I have that are special that they made and so isn't it nice to be helping people remember this tradition that you know when we knit a baby blanket just how beautiful that is for the baby to have something handmade. But then that baby blanket will be carried through to hopefully your kids' kids. And, you know, that sense of interconnectedness. And it's in our blood. It literally is in the fabric of who we are. And, you know, we've gotten divorced from that. And I really believe that the more we take our shoes off and walk on the earth, the more we'll be able to have a level of sensitivity to feel why these things are important and why they matter. And, you know, there's a huge movement right now around making. Yes. You know, people are making things that are really connected to the earth. And that's a gift. 
we're speaking to something that's bubbling up. People are gravitating towards this. And I think out of a need or out of a sense of however unconscious it might be of this separation that we've been experiencing. We even, we just had a conversation with some people in Northern California who are farming flax and to make linen. And they were just saying that there's this big machine that harvests flax in a really effective way. But there's only like one company in Belgium that makes it. And they went to go try to get one for their three and a half acres. And they heard back from the company that, oh, there's this particular size of this machine that would be well suited for your farm. But we stopped making that one during World War II. And now we only sell these huge, you have to have a minimum 5,000 acres for it to work kind of thing. And then I said, well, there have to be some really cool, you know, like, antique ones laying around somewhere you know i'm sure you've scoured the internet looking for them and he says yeah and up until 10 years ago you could have found them but in the past 10 years there's been a resurgence of interest in this and farming flax and creating basically textiles from farm to closet and yeah so there's a lot of people interested in these antique smaller machines that are that are more manageable but I thought that reminded me of what you guys were saying how it's definitely a collective energy yeah so what's your opinion or thoughts on what's happened maybe in the last we'll just say 10 years for it's probably longer than that but what do you think are the factors in the in this shift well I think that there's an evolution happening mm-hmm Literally, even with the intensity of what we're going through, there's a natural unfolding. And as a global community, we don't want to believe that. But everything that has been going on has led up to where we are now. And really trusting this evolution. And yet we can make different choices by uh, waking up to you know, how we've destroyed the planet you know, how we've polluted our waters, we can change. But up until now, it's all really understood the reasons that things are so bad in our environment. And, you know, the sickness of the pandemic is just really an outgrowth of the sickness on the planet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we need to keep slowing down, going inwards, coming home to our breath, and really feeling so that we can move forward with greater clarity and, you know, really have the strength of our backbone, the strength of our back body, and yet the openness of our heart. Because ultimately, everything has to come from a place of openness, kindness, and love. And when we remember that, everything goes into a perspective and we can relax our shoulders. We can be with whatever challenges there are, and we can move forward with greater awareness. And because we don't live in caves, you know, even those of us who meditate every day, we do that so that we can be more productive and more active in helping the choices that are being made. So what is your idea of slow living? You talk about slowing down and what is a day in the life of Kate Kilmurray as a mindfulness guide and an artist and a woman in her 60s? Talk to us about that. So I have a routine and the routine is I wake up pre-dawn. So that could be five o'clock and I brush my teeth and change my clothes and I go and sit 
And I've spoken about the connection with the sunrise. And after my practice, I then go and do an hour hike. Every day? Every day. Wow. I'm so fortunate. I live eight minutes and I can get to this amazing hike through the mountains in Ojai. And there's a round trip hike that I do every morning and it takes about an hour. And in that time, I try and get out of my frontal brain. I'm really practicing trying to get out of my thoughts and just experiencing what it's like to move my body with this beautiful abundance of nature around me. And that has been very life transforming because I do it in solitude. And I really like how when I hear people walking, I hear a different quality in their voice. And I'm not so interested in the content, but the quality of just their voice itself. And so, you know, dropping into this inner quiet, just moving my body, it's a walking meditation that I do. Then I come home and I do probably half an hour or so yoga practice. And I have osteoporosis, so I do things weight-bearing for my bones. And so by now I get to, it's probably um, 11.30, 12 o'clock, and then I eat. And after lunch, I then look at my emails and begin my weaving business. So I make, sell, teach hand weaving. So from noon until five, that's basically what I put my energy into. And then around five, I'll do a loop around my neighborhood. I may call friends, meet a friend, and then make dinner with my husband of over 30 years. And then in the evening, often I will put my feet up and read. I'll do some simple taking off of weavings on the loom. I'll go outside and talk with my husband and just kind of chill out from the day. So the only thing that shifts that is I'll go to Santa Barbara and have a massage. I'll go to Santa Barbara and have some acupuncture, you know, things that are about self-care. Occasionally, I'll have a lunch out with a friend. But that's a pretty steady um, example of a day in the life of Kate Kilmurray. Yeah, that's oh. lovely. I, I love that. I think my mom and I can both relate to this as creative people. It's really important to have that structure and that routine and I don't know if you are naturally not inclined that way. We definitely are not inclined that way. But find that when we do have that structure, I think it's so important and so helpful in centering and slowing down. And it just it just helps all that so much. So truly, it's inspirational to hear of that structure and routine. I have to be careful of the other way. I get okay. so structured. Like when we go on a trip, my son will say, mom, please don't plan every detail. I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I like things organized. And I've had to learn to lighten up and to kind of let things flow. And, you know, that's, that's my learning. So, you know, we all have strengths and uh, things that we're working on. And, you know, it's the opposite of the structure mm-hmm. that I need to, um, in terms of balancing and, you know, finding balance is really at the heart of what we're talking about, right? Exactly. I'm like you, I I need an hour walk or bike ride or something outside every day, but mine happens just like 
whenever it feels right. I, if I try to make it a certain time somehow, I, I kind of have to do all the things you described. I resonate with it, except it all happens at different times. It's not regular. <laughs> I've struggled with, like you struggle with being too structured. I've struggled with not being structured enough, but it all sort of happens anyway. And I've learned to trust that too. I, I've learned to trust that. Yeah. It, it does all happen eventually. You know, I've written a couple of books and I, I can look back and say, you know, I did that. I, I completed that. You know, whatever my daily structure was or however much time it took me, I, it did happen. So living in Southern California, I don't have a choice with my hike in the summer. Right. The heat. Mm-hmm. Honestly, true. that's true. 7, 7.30 is the best time to be out. And, you know, when we're getting into 100 degree days, yes. earlier you know, six o'clock and it's very refreshing. So, you know, I have certain, certain limitations just because of the the heat and, you know, we're in a terrible drought and it's scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. What brought you guys to Southern California? Honestly, I could not take one more winter of ice, snow and cold. And my husband and I had a yoga, the Iyengar Yoga Institute in San Francisco. That would have been when I was my late twenties. And we moved back to be with both of our moms who were very sick with cancer. And then we always knew we wanted to come back to California. But when you have a yoga center and a child in school, you know, it's hard to pick up. So we realized towards the, I guess, in high school that we were ready to make the change. Both of our, actually all of our parents had died. And so we had the freedom and then we, you know, were ready to shift out of uh, the day-to-day business of running a yoga center. And then we needed to wait for our, our son to graduate from high school because it didn't feel fair to us to remove him from his peer group. And mm-hmm. so um, we looked at Sedona, we looked at Santa Fe, we looked Northern California, all wonderful places, but nothing felt like home. And then uh, one of my um, husband's best friends from his years at MIT uh, lived in uh, Santa Barbara. So we went to visit him. And then one of my husband's yoga students said, oh, why don't you come down and see us in Ojai? So we got on the 150, this long winding road down into the valley. And honestly, we hadn't even gotten out of the car. And we looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, this feels special. And we spent a couple of um, spring vacations with my son just coming. And honestly, we had a blind faith. And in 2012, we bought a piece of property with a junker house and took time to renovate it. That's when they got their farm. That's so weird. Yeah, that's when we bought our farm. Bought the place. And then, then it wasn't until 2015 that we moved here. So I don't know. We should look up astrologically what what's going on. I know, Seriously, I know. Like you know, we were born in the same birth year, and yeah. I have a very similar story. You know, we were living in Washington D.C., and um, I kept going out. There's a it's an agricultural reserve. We, we've talked about it on here before, just west of D.C. And I was found myself going out there very frequently. You know, to pick berries or produce, or just kind of drive around sometimes, hike. Right, right along the Potomac River, and uh, yeah, and in 2012, that we just randomly found this piece of property and and bought it, (laughs) 
And then we were going to just live out there. You know, it was just going to be like a weekend place. But I went out there. We bought it. And I went out there. And I never came back to D.C. And my husband commuted back and forth like a couple times a week for a year before we said, okay, you know, we're moving out there full time and we rented our DC house. Now we live out there full time. But it, yeah, the timing is very synchronistic there. 2012. I'm really interested in that year because even the another interview yeah. we just had, they started their, the Flex people, they just started their Flex project in 2012. Yeah, they're Weird. in Northern California, right? Yeah, they're in um, Chico. Anyways. So, so what? <laughs> but that's a wonderful story. I got goosebumps. I want to go to Ojai. Yes. Is it in <laughs> is it in San Bernardino County? San Bernardino County or Ventura. Ventura, Ventura. County. You and your husband trained at the Iyengar Center in San Francisco, is that what you said? So uh, I trained. I was in the teacher training program and my husband Arthur Kilmurray was one of the senior teachers. Okay. So that's how we met. We actually met at a yoga convention years before in Boston. Um, and it just happened that that was the style of yoga, Hatha yoga, that I was interested in. And so mm-hmm. I moved to San Francisco to go through their certification program. And then he and I fell in love. And Well, that must have been like in the 80s or something. Correct. Yeah. So here's another coincidence. I'm also a yoga teacher. I trained when we lived in Atlanta in 2004 with uh, just, you know, it was just a Hatha yoga training, a, you know, a yoga alliance 200 training. I have done some Iyengar, but that's funny because that sort of fits the more structured personality, the Iyengar, I think. And the Hatha, the sort of, you know, more spontaneous movement maybe suits somebody like me of a little less structure. Actually, have sought out bhakti yoga to kind of balance. Yeah, bhakti. That's cool. Bhakti yoga. I have just been so touched to how my heart has opened in some of the practices uh, centered in the bhakti yoga, and you know, it's really helped me to be less structured in my practice. What I like about the Iyengar system is the use of props. The sequencing is brilliant, and you know, if you do it mindfully. Um, you're less likely to get hurt. And, you know, at the center, we had so many people who were doing power yoga and getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like anything. You need to do it with a certain perspective. So, you know, the Iyengar system is a little rigid at times, but, you know, we have the bhakti to help balance it out. And, you know, certainly the meditation has been a real gift for me in terms of balancing the inner and outer. And what kind of meditation do you do? I went through the uh, mindfulness meditation program. And okay. I don't practice a, a real structure. I, it's a much more of an intuitive teaching for me now. You know, I just go inside and uh, speak from my heart. And I try and not get into, you know, a, a lot of heavy thinking. It's just mm-hmm. more about coming home to the body and feeling the breath and, you know, uh, allowing myself just to be with what is and to uh, work on letting go of the judgment and the commentary and, you know, the negative bias that we all live with. Do you find yourself trying to solve problems during your meditation or figure out things or think about what's for dinner or... Right. Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this person. <laughs> we all get lost in thought. After a really committed five years of practice, 
I am able to observe, okay, you're going off into story, yeah. come home and, and I'm able to catch it sooner. And honestly, there's a quality of stillness and silence that is so nourishing for me that that's what I want to dive deeper into. And so there's really this longing to rest in the silence. And yeah, the thoughts are going to come and go. But it underneath all of that is the stillness. And mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we all love walking on the beach, because we're connecting with that essence that makes us feel so good. And so I think that's what we want to keep returning to, just keep coming home. And, you know, for some people, it's cooking. You know, for other people, it's flying a kite. You know, there are many ways of grounding and centering, and it doesn't have to be following the breath. And yet there is a discipline and a focus that helps in really saying, okay, this is my practice, and it's going to help me to stay focused and at home with who I really am, because we are so distracted in other things. And, you know, it's the conditioning. Yeah. Let's see how long. Six years ago, I took the TM course, the Transcendental Meditation course, and I liked it a lot. That one, you're advised to do it for 20 minutes twice a day. And somewhere along the line, I fell into just doing it the one time in the morning. But I don't think I've missed a single morning in six years, honestly. I would be afraid not to do it. I would be afraid what would happen if I... <laughs> You know, what What would it feel like? I don't, I don't know what I would feel like. So it is the first thing I do when I wake up every morning. So I do have that structure. That's pretty solid. I often finish my 20 minutes and I think, did I do that right? <laughs> I still think that. And I know, I know that there's, there's no right or wrong. And I know that in the midst of it, when you find yourself thinking about what you're going to do for dinner or whatever, you just, you just pull yourself back and say, okay. You're over there. Come on back. Listen to the birds. Or So I, I do understand that. Uh, to your point, it's a practice. It is a practice and you never get there. Right. And it's not about arriving. Right. And being in presence. Yeah. There are four words that I want to share with you that have really changed my life in terms of this day-to-day -day connecting with quieting. So I want to share them. Pause. Relax. Open, allow. And to me, those four words really are a kind of mantra to remind me what's important. Mm. You know, we can have our eyes open. We don't need to be in any special place or time. All we need to do is remember. Pause. What's that feel like in your body when you pause? Relax. How does it feel just to... Maybe let a little tension out of the shoulders and the neck. Open. To feel like to maybe create a little space for the heart to be more receptive to what is. And then finally, allow. Just allow whatever it is that's arising to be. So that we're creating a spaciousness for whatever is here in this moment. And to me, that's a really beautiful way of being. And, you know, sharing this with others, sharing this with you, you know, it, it has, it really touches my heart. And it, again, coming back full circle, it gives me a sense of purpose 
and that I, I could be making a difference. I know I'm making a difference in how I feel about myself. And then it's the ripple effect and it can help to soothe and nourish others. And I think that's why we're here. You know, I'm so touched that the two of you are doing this together. Tell me, can you tell yeah. me how the two of you started this? You want to tell the tale, Emma? Well, I was actually, again, coinky-dinky. I was living in Boston. <laughs> I was living with a family in Arlington. I was nannying, and I thought I wanted to maybe do something in – I was drawn to art direction, photography, sort of that sort of world. And I had come into contact with this woman several years prior who was an art director. I was just really interested in her job and we sort of had an email correspondence. And so I ended up kind of apprenticing her and nannying her kids that year. And it was at the end of that year, there was a very also specific moment at the beginning of that time when I remember we were having a chat in the park and she was telling me about some other thing she was doing. and, And I remember thinking like, It'd be really nice to just sort of have a business that and my parents could support the business and it could be like my thing and maybe I'd do it with my parents. I've, I've never, never heard, heard I've that. never heard this. I think I like manifested it with joy. <laughs> and then at the end of that year, I was really didn't know what I because I wanted to say in Boston, I love Boston, but I knew that I had to make a certain amount of money if I wanted to like live the kind of life I liked living there and to, you know, be comfortable and I just couldn't all of the jobs I could think of that I would do was like, oh, I didn't want to do that. So I didn't know what I was doing. And then just happened to watch the True Cost documentary on Netflix. Have you seen it? No. Oh, it's you must. It's called The True Cost, and it's about the fast fashion industry. And it was made in the wake of the Bangladesh tragedy where the factory collapsed that had all of those brands working in it and killed thousands of people. So there's this film, it's a great seminal film about fast fashion and all of that. So I watched that and I was really moved by it. And I found a sustainable ethical fashion boutique in Boston in the Soa neighborhood. And I started working for them and then I kind of just got this idea like, this would be cool. I'd like to start a brand, a clothing brand. And then at the same time, my mom and I had been talking a lot and they had recently moved to the farm and were just kind of adopting this different lifestyle of slower living and really caring about where their food came from. And it kind of related in this really neat way to like caring about where your clothes come from. And there's just a lot of synergy there. And so we were just chatting and you were kind of like, I kind of want to make clothes. And we just sort of like had this idea together. Well, you know what you're saying about the, you know, the textiles and the your relationship with the things you use. And um, it just was dawning on me. Like I, I was living this really different kind of lifestyle, living outdoors, working in the dirt all the time, you know, walking around hiking. And, you know, the clothing just felt weird. I mean, just, you know, the gym shorts and the t-shirts weren't cutting it for, for some farm reason, life. Yeah. you know, for farm life. And that's what it what it was. And I remember thinking, I would like other things to wear that feel more natural, that feel more like, really more natural, more connected with like the soil or whatever. So when she said that, it was like, yeah, let's make, let's do this. Let's do a clothing line. And we knew nothing about any of it. And it was good timing for me because I think partially why it actually happened is because this job was ending and I like needed another job. So I think I had <laughs> a particular had openness. Yeah. And I just, I kind of latched on to it and then... 
my mom was also available and able to help make it happen. So I don't know. That was five years ago now. Yeah, Here we funny. are. Yeah, and it, it went. And so we, we did this thing. We did this Kickstarter and we made this, this sustainable clothing line. And then it sort of morphed into, it became very quickly apparent to us that there was a lot of education out there and sort of unlearning around these things. You know, you were saying earlier in the discussion about supporting people and making different choices. That's probably the extreme bottom line of what we talk about all the time is every moment you can make a choice about how you're going to be, what you're going to use, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And, you know, you might tell yourself you don't have a choice because of this or that or another, but you really do on some level. Everybody has a choice on some level about all these things and might be harder for some than others. But there is some point in all this where individuals can make a choice about these things that's going to be better for them and better for the planet and better for people or better for everyone around them. So I think, you know, so much of what we do is just talking about these choices and and trying to inform people about why these choices are important. And at the same time, slowing down enough and being quiet enough to be able to discern these things. Yeah, to discern that how you're feeling because you can't yeah, as you said earlier too, if you're in in that automatic going, 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 you you don't even know realize you're uncomfortable or sad or whatever it is or or happy or you know all the range of emotions. Yeah, it's, it's not just bad stuff, but you know, so many people ask us. We get the question all the time. Well, what is slow living? What do you mean when you say slow living? And really, what we mean is paying attention, just paying attention and being mm-hmm. aware, and that opens up so many doors and opens up the way for so much healing and so much redirection of the way you feel and the way you live your life just by paying attention that's all (laughs) what's your definition of slow living yeah i would say paying attention to our feelings Mm -hmm. really drop in and feel what's coming up and that can only happen when we're slowing down and going inwards. Yes. I just want to circle back. You know, it was a beautiful story. And the piece that I love is the modeling that you both are doing for mother-daughter relationship. And I think it's really meaningful that the two of you are coming together in this way and working through all the ups and downs. And you've made the commitment to do it together. And I think that's rare. And I think it's hearkening back to a previous time when families did stay together and, you know, community, mm-hmm. the people didn't move away. So I love this interconnectedness that the two of you are modeling around how it's possible. And, you know, my mom's been, been passed since 2000 and mm-hmm. no loss in not having a mother. And so, you know, we turn to Mother Earth, we turn to older seasoned women. But the fact that the two of you have each other in this very special, very profound way is beautiful. And I commend you for sticking with it because I'm sure, you know, stuff comes up because it it does when you're running a business together. But the, the devotion to working through it, no matter what. And I love that. I I really honor your relationship. Thank you, Kate. Yes, thank you so much. And it's sort of our responsibility as elders. I love the word elder. You know, it's something we can do. And in this business, it's so much fun because I am around a lot of young energy. 
um, you know, young entrepreneurs and all the social media and all. And that gives me a lot of joy and a lot of energy and a lot of inspiration. But at the same time, I am able to, I think, impart some of my experience from the over six decades on the planet now. And uh, that's a joy too. It really is. I guess there's a tendency nowadays that people like they worry about getting older or you hate to think that way. But it's such a privilege <laughs> to be in that position. And it is a privilege to work with my daughter and also to be like wrangling with these huge issues, huge things, and to be working together creatively to, to just do something with all of this that, you know, she'll be bringing up the next generation in it w- with a new mindset or new insights because of the work we've done. So I love that very much. I'm very, very inspired by that. And there's this thread of it that just keeps on going. <laughs> great yeah and I think a lot of people say oh gosh I could never work with my mom that's amazing how do you do that and to that I say (laughs) of course it's hard and like there's stuff that's really challenging but I appreciate the opportunity to I feel like I don't know, we've both gotten a lot more mature and like <laughs> communicated better and figured out. I mean, any business, any working relationship is difficult. But I feel lucky to be able to like have to sort of rise to the occasion because it's worth it. It's fun. Yeah, and we have interviews, we have events, we have things to produce, and you've got sometimes you got to put aside some things, just get it done, go for the team. You, you've got it. You've got a job to do out there, and there's a lot of learning around that too. Well, I really your aliveness and you know that's inspiring so thank you so much i've really enjoyed thank you for pointing that out that's thank you so much and i'll say one more thing on that i love having this platform to talk to people like you that to me is such a treat having these wonderful conversations and talking about these things and you know this is a way and over you know the last five years we've cultivated this like sort of vehicle to share it with people that to me is a wonderful privilege i'm just very honored and lucky to be able to do that i understand you know how it can just flow i mean we we've never met and yet Mm -hmm. understanding there's this trust and look what we can co-create together Mm Yes. Yeah, I get the same image you said earlier about sending your weavings around the world, kind of your art can connect you to everywhere. It it's, feels similar. And speaking of your weavings, like where are they? You, you sell you, you sell these things wholesale, on, on right? a website or wholesale or how do you how do you share them with the world? And they're so symbolic now. I'm like, I'm, I'm in such reverence of these things. I can't wait to get my hands on them. I have uh, stores throughout the country, Denmark, Japan, UK. It's it's really lovely. Um, I do sell through my website, katekilmurray.com. I'm teaching a workshop that's coming up uh, with Making Magazine. It's um, makingapp.com. So if anyone's interested in learning how to weave, you can go to my website and learn more about that. And then, of course, I have my um, free gathering once a month called the Weaving Way Community. So if people are interested, they can just go to my website, katekilmurray.com, and find out more about buying my weavings, um, learning how to make weavings. And who knows, you might go into a store and see a Kate Kilmurray weaving. I heard her speak. Well, you already kind of answered the good dirt question that we always ask. Yeah, that was lovely. What do you want people to understand most about the work that you do? 
I think what's most important to me is making time for self-care. And, you know, that includes looking at what you eat, how you eat, when you eat, getting enough sleep, taking time just to do nothing. You know, we have this whole thing around, you know, if we sit back and just put our feet up that we're not doing enough. Well, I think we ought to learn how to rest and to make it okay that sometimes we're just loafing, you know, to let loafing be okay. You know, in architecture, they're beautiful porches where you just, you know, sit on a rocking chair and you take in the night breeze. So slowing down and just simply being. And in that simply being, there's a quality of connecting with yourself that then will allow, you know, more receptivity to being with your loved ones in an open, clear way and more energy then to greet the world with whatever passion that you want to follow through on. So slowing down, taking time just to simply be and deeply nourishing yourself with resting and good food and being with your loved ones. That's at the heart. Thank you so much for being here, Kate. This yes, so thank lovely. you. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm inspired. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and we hope you'll share all of your feedback with us at ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey. Remember the survey is open for the next few weeks and we'll be drawing one winner from all of the survey completers for a free year in the Almanac. And a reminder that everyone gets three months free. Yes, and thank you to Kate for coming on the show today. A reminder also that the Almanac is currently open for fall enrollment. We'll start our fall programming right away with the Equinox on September 22nd, and we'd love to have you with us. Thank you, as always, dear listeners, for being here, and we'll see you next week.